Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to the book of Galatians? The uh, passage that uh, Pastor Dave read for us this morning will be our, um, our, our main spot this morning. We're going to jump around and look at a couple of other scriptures, but that's going to be our, our main text for today. Um, one of the things that uh, we're doing right now is we're starting a, a new uh, sermon series today, and it has a bit of a of an ominous name and title to it. It's called Wrecked, up there behind us, the big wrecking ball coming down, and it can feel a little uneasy and it feel a little uh, scary at, at times. We're we're looking at four things, four things that will wreck your life, and so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at those things. Now, you're not going to come over the next four weeks. Our our goal is not to have you come and. Have you have us help you wreck your life? That's not the idea. Our idea is to look at it from the other perspective, to kind of look down the road and get ahead of some of these things and talk to you frankly about them and try to give you help not to wreck your life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave um, brought to the pastoral staff a list of uh, 10, 15 things that that we as a church family are struggling with, that we're frustrated about, that we're challenged with. Um, earlier this summer, um, Pastor Keith did a, a, a message in, in our series called The Kingdom Experience. It was in July, I believe. And, and at the end of that service, many people here wrote notes and brought them to a cross here at the altar and, and laid them there of, of things that they're dealing with, burdens that are in their heart and um, challenges that they're facing as that you are facing in your own life. We did the same thing. I think I spoke that morning in in Epic Faith, and we did the same thing over there. And and Pastor Dave prayed over those those notes and read them and and just collected some data for us on what are the themes that were brought to the altar that morning, the the issues and the topics that that people are saying, hey, this this is alive in my life. And and I need help with this. I, I need some guidance. I, I need some direction. I need some, some, uh, somebody to speak to me about this because this is really challenging me right now. And, and as we looked at that list, what we did is we decided that, that one of the avenues that we can a, a address the items on there was through our preaching ministry. And so many of the uh, things that we discussed in our last series um, margin in your life, how to find margin, were brought off of that list that that Pastor Dave shared with us. And as well as that series, um, we're looking at today, kicking off today and this whole new series that we're doing. And what we did is we looked at that list again, and we just looked at the different themes. We kind of held it at arm's length and said, what are the themes that are going on in the lives of our people, of, of us? Together, what is happening in, in our lives? And as we looked at that, we realized that, that there were some common threads there and that if we would just pause for a moment, we would realize that if we don't address some of these things, we're going to wreck our lives. Some of these things that, are, that we as a church, as individuals, and then collectively as a whole are dealing with, some of these things, if we don't get out in front of these things, or if we don't help you with some practical insight, biblical, godly insight, if we don't get to this, we're going to really wreck our lives. And that's 
in large part how we designed this series. The concerns that were listed and, and the concerns that we're going to wrestle with today and over the next um, three, three weeks are really concerns that are common to all of us. They're not necessarily things that, that we've never experienced, but I would think for many of us, we've, these things that we've talked about have, have touched our lives at some point. We've, we've possibly dabbled with it, and possibly some of us have been so far involved with some of these issues that we've actually uh, developed addictions to these things, and, and we need help out of it, or we need help through it, and we need help to avoid it. If we would be honest with each other, I think we could say that at one time or another, we've all participated in one of these areas. But so often we fail to recognize what's happening in our lives until it's too late. So often we fail to to see what's going on in our lives until it's too late. We get on the other side of destruction. We get on the other side of being wrecked. We get on the other side of an addiction and we say, why didn't somebody stop me? Why didn't somebody help me? Why didn't somebody raise a red flag and say, hey, your life is spiraling downward and you need help and we're here to help and we're here to to guide you in a different direction. So often, we don't check it out until it's too late. What starts as an innocent comment or what starts out as a sense of frustration or a casual glance or a sense of accomplishment. So often those can sit in our hearts and the enemy can use that as a foothold and get into our lives and get traction into our lives and grip us with some of those, those things and cause us to sin. Take what, something that was simple and innocent has been birthed into sin because it's gone unchecked. It wraps us and grabs us and gets a hold of us because we've, it's gone unchecked, it's gone unaudited. And those moments of innocence will turn evil if we're not careful. And soon... If we're not careful, we realize our lives are wrecked. Now, what's interesting about this idea of being wrecked is that when our life is wrecked, it's not the only life that's affected. The lives of the people that we love and the lives of the people that are around us feel the ripple effects as well. So as we talk about gossip this morning... It's felt not only in our life, but it's felt in the lives of other people. In the weeks to come, as we talk about anger and lust and pride, when those issues wreck our lives, we're not the only life that's affected. The ripple effects of that wrecking us splashes into the lives of other people and it wrecks them too. It's not just our life that we're concerned about. It's not just our lives that are damaged, but it's the lives of the people around us. Going unchecked, these issues cause real problems in real life. And so this 
through this series, what we want to do is we want to help you to, as I've already said, kind of look ahead and say, I may not be facing this issue today, but I'm sure in the future, somewhere down the road, this is going to creep up into my life. I, I need to know. We want to help you know how to stop it when you encounter it. And again, for some of you today, you're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of, of being wrecked right now in your life through one of these topics or any another number of different topics. And you need, we want to help you stop what you're doing right now and get out of that scenario and get out of that situation and find hope in Christ. As we present this, this series to you as well, we want you to understand that you have power. You have power over these things in your life. It's, it's God's power through the Holy Spirit living inside of you that you can stop the wrecking ball from slamming into your life. That if we would live our lives dedicated to the power of the Holy Spirit influencing us and moving us and challenging us and being obedient to it, we can stop these things and stop the damage. Stop the damage in our lives and stop the damage that flows into the lives of others. As we look into this series, the passage that was read for us today, Galatians chapter 5, will serve as the kind of overarching text for the entire series. Today and in the weeks to come, weeks to come, we will give you other texts that support the topics that we're talking about, but the overarching, overriding theme for this series comes from Galatians chapter 5. As we turn to that, that passage this morning, I want to give you a little background of what's happening. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to this church in Galatia, and he's telling them, giving them wisdom and counsel, because there have been people that have come into this first century church that have tried to get this church off track. There are people that are coming into the church and telling the church that in order to find favor with God, in order to have your sins forgiven, in order to be able to experience an eternal destiny, that to find favor with God, you not only have to have faith in Christ, but you have to have something else. There's another practice, there's another thing, there's another teaching that you have to hold on to. It's faith in Christ plus something else. And this was the teaching that was coming into the church. And Paul, in the entire book of Galatians, is going back time and time and time again, telling them it's not faith plus something else. The message in the book of Galatians is simple. It is faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. Faith alone in Christ alone. If you want favor with God, if you want the forgiveness of your sins, if you want help and hope for right now, if you want eternity secured, it is faith alone in Christ alone. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to add another teaching, another man, another issue, another... There are no other hoops to jump through to find favor with God. It's simply this, faith alone in Christ alone. And that's what Paul was trying to redirect this church to understand. And it seems as though that the people of this church 
were being torn in two different directions. And Paul's desire was to come in and put them back on track, put them back in the same direction, that it is faith alone in Christ alone. And he's telling them that with that comes freedom. With understanding that it's faith alone in Christ alone, there's freedom. You don't have to jump through these hoops. It's faith alone in Christ alone. You don't have to worry about other issues. It's faith alone in Christ alone. And he deals with this idea of freedom and he comes to chapter 5 and he makes the statement, it is for freedom that you have been set free. So live in the freedom. Live in the freedom that God has provided for you. As he encourages them in, his, in their freedom, he reminds them that freedom from rules in finding favor with God, that freedom does not mean that we get to live life any way we want. He's very careful at this point and very deliberate. And he says, being free in your faith does not mean that you can just go and then live however you want. There are parameters. There are boundaries. There are God-given parameters. Baram- uh, it's a combination word of parameters and boundaries. There are these things in your life so that you can experience maximum freedom. When you step outside the parameter, we sin. It's destructive. But inside of God's boundaries, there's complete freedom. Live that way. Understand that. Just because I don't have to jump through hoops, though, doesn't mean I get to live however I want. In fact, Paul argues the exact opposite, that freedom, freedom from jumping through all these religious hoops, freedom means that my faith is dedicated to Christ And I live my life dedicated to godly, Holy Spirit-led, driven values and principles. That's what my life is dedicated to. It's not freedom to just do what I please. It's freedom to come under the direction of God and His Holy Spirit. And as He moves me, I live in freedom. And Paul, as he writes to the church, challenges them in this idea of freedom and he says this in verse 13 you my brothers were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature do not just go living however you want there are boundaries and parameters rather use your freedom to serve one another to serve one another in love The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. You will be destroying each other. You know, sometimes the biggest enemy in our spiritual journey, sometimes the biggest enemy are other Christians and Christ followers who are sitting right around us. It's unfortunate, but if we would stop and understand our own experiences, we would know that it's true. It's unfortunate, and as we open the Scriptures and the New Testament, we realize what Paul is saying is absolutely true. That sometimes the biggest enemy to the church, to the body of Christ, are the members of the church themselves. 
Sometimes the biggest struggle I have in my own life are the people that have called themselves Christ followers that sit around me, that nitpick and nab and, and pick on me for all of these little things. Well, you're not doing this right. and You're not doing that right. and You don't live this way. and You don't live that way. And Paul is saying, don't bite and devour each other. Sometimes you're the biggest enemy to your own spiritual growth, to the own advancement of the kingdom. You are to blame yourselves. For the Galatian churches, how they spoke to each other and how they spoke about each other was destroying them. The way they treated one another was inexcusable to Paul. Their abuses of freedom and faith was destroying their relationships. It was hurting reputations and it was, it was killing the church. And Paul had to remind them of Christ's command in this, in this passage to love your neighbor as yourself. There was a day when, when Jesus was out teaching and, and, and somebody came up to him and he said, Teacher, what, what is the greatest commandment? And as he asked the question, he was, he was getting his list ready, right? He was sitting there, go ahead, Jesus, come on, tell me, because I don't do that, and, and I do this, I do that, I, I go here, and I'm sure that I, I do these things, and, and I don't participate in that, and I don't participate in those, and I surely don't do, you know, that stuff. So, Jesus, what's the greatest command? I want to make sure that, that I'm locked in with you. And in a way that only Jesus could do is, he turns it upside down. He turns the whole gospel on, it, on its head from what we think the gospel is. And Jesus says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and all your strength. And then he said, and the second is like it. It's like the, second, the, the other side of the same coin. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest command, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the mark of true faith. This was what people would see or should see and by that know that we are Christ followers. The world, those who are outside of faith, those who are outside the church should look at your life and and my life and, and know that we are Christ followers because we love each other. Because we care for each other because we're concerned for each other. They should know that we are Christians because we serve each other out of love. I'm, I'm there for your need. I'm there for your, your time of, of desperation. I'm here to love you. I'm there to help you. I'm there to serve you. And in fact, isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you love one another. That's how the world knows that we are Christ followers. That's how the world knows that we're together. That's how the world knows that we're united. That's how the world knows and knows that there's looks at us and knows that there's something different. Because we love one another. And we serve each other. But at this point in the history of this church in 
Galatia and at the time of tension among the people, Paul had to remind them to stop biting and devouring each other. Because it's going to destroy you. Their abuse, their abuse of freedom was, was actually an indicator of their immaturity of faith. They were actually immature. They thought that they were on higher ground and lifted up. And Paul said, you guys are immature. He says in 16, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict. So that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There's no law against those things. We are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit controlling our lives, not our sinful nature. We are to love and serve each other, not to bite and devour each other. Yet gossip, gossip has a way of seeping into our lives. It's so easy for gossip to come in and shade our thinking and cloud our judgment and alter our behavior. Gossip, when, when grown and flourishing, kills and destroys and creates division and creates factions. It, gossip wrecks lives. And as we read this morning already in the Old Testament passages, there's a warning about gossip that God gives. Gossip betrays confidence. Gossip separates close friends. Gossip, without, without gossip, a quarrel dies down. So with gossip, you want the fight to continue? You want quarreling to continue? Keep gossiping. Because gossip stirs the pot. Gossip divides people. Gossip wrecks lives. In the Scriptures, the word gossip is translated rumor or slander. It's used almost interchangeably throughout the Old and New Testament. Gossip is, is related to rumor and slander. It spreads harmful information that is neither known or verified as true. It's described as, as talking in, in hushed tones and low voices and whispers with the implication that this is not why. I talk. Not. 
You've ever been in the, the situation where, where somebody comes to you and says, did you? Mm-hmm. That's right. Could be gossip. Have you ever been in this situation? Have you ever had this conversation? Don't tell anybody I told you. But, Bill, could be gossip. Gossip and rumor and slander. Like this, we're known as his disciples. Like this, that's what the world knows about our church. Now let's be honest. We're gonna we're gonna level the playing field right now. Lower your defenses because we've all participated in it. We've all participated in gossip. We've all had those conversations. We've all been in those environments. We've all helped those conversations move forward. We've all done it. At one point or another, we've all done it. And if you haven't, then you're probably lying. And that's another sermon for another day. But we've done it. We've participated. So we're all guilty as charged. We all stand before the cross on level ground. I've done it. You've done it. We've shared these conversations. In fact, our society makes light of it. There are gossip columns. There are gossip magazines. There are gossip websites. There are gossip TV shows. Our world has taken a biblical warning and turned it into a multi-million dollar and probably billion dollar industry. Our culture has taken a biblical mandate and has made fun of it and turned it into a sport. The world laughs at gossip. The world pays for gossip. And the world lures us into gossip. We make an innocent comment and it snowballs into a conversation that we didn't expect. Soon we have more conversations and tell more people stories using inference and innuendo. And before we know it, we're, we're gossip. And we're with our friends. And we're gossiping. And it's cute. And it's acceptable. And at times it's funny. When I tell them the story, isn't it funny? And we joke. When it's about you, it's not funny, is it? When it's about you, it's not acceptable. When it's about you, it's not right. When it's about you, this needs to stop. 
But you see, in our culture and in our world, we've made sport of it. We joke about it and we laugh about it. But what God warns us about in the Scriptures, never funny, never cute, and it's never acceptable. Gossip divides friendships. Gossip destroys relationships. Gossip causes division and dissension. Gossip stirs up trouble and quarrels and and shows us how untrustworthy someone really is. When somebody says in a word, in a whisper of gossip, hey, trust me, I heard this. It actually shows how untrustworthy they are. Gossip is dark and gossip is ugly. It's a whisper. It's a it's a whisper in the corner and it's a sharing of information that is untested and, and untrue and it wrecks our lives. And it wrecks the lives of people around us. In the New Testament church and in the 21st century church, gossip destroys the church. It's another way for the enemy to reach into a conversation, to slither into a congregation, and to grip and to grab hold of people and members who are Christ followers. I've given myself to Christ. I've asked for forgiveness. I'm giving myself to follow Him. And gossip comes in and grabs a hold of us and pulls us in another direction. And it strangles us and it wrecks the church. When it wrecks the church, it destroys the kingdom. And this was Paul's concern when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote to the church in Corinth that, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. What he's saying there is, if this is going on, I'm going to have to get up in your face about some of these things. I fear that there may be quarreling and and jealousy and outbursts of anger and, and factions and slander and gossip and arrogance and disorder. This was his fear about the church. And when he wrote to a, a young pastor who was starting out in one of his first ministries in a, in a new church environment, Paul was trying to encourage Timothy on on how to set up the church and how to manage the church and how to structure the church. And one of the things he told he told Timothy to do was was be sure you know who all the who all the widows are in your church and and create a list so that you can so that you can make sure that you are taking care of the widows in an appropriate way. And he writes these words and he says, but don't put the younger widows on the list. Textually speaking, it's about the age 60 or younger. If you are 60 or younger as a widow, Paul is saying, you're a young widow. Don't Timothy, don't put them on the list. There are a number of reasons why, but one of the reasons is this. They get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. Scholar Philip Towner, in commenting on this section, writes this. This kind of behavior would draw the wrong attention to the church. That's why why Paul was concerned. 
He was concerned because this kind of behavior would draw the wrong attention to the church and cast doubts on its credibility. And when I read that this week in preparation, that sentence stopped me dead in my tracks. This kind of behavior draws the wrong attention to the church and casts doubts on its credibility. In a world where the message of the gospel is muzzled and muffled more and more each day, gossip is wrecking our opportunities to speak boldly the truth of Christ. At a time when Christians should unite and advance God's values, our gossip is wrecking our credibility. At a crucial critical and vulnerable time when we should stand united in mission and united in purpose. Gossip, if we're not careful, will cast doubts and wreck all of our efforts in a kingdom where our care and concern for one another, where our love for each other should be the sign and the banner that we fly. Look at how we care and how we love and how we meet each other's needs and how we lift each other up in a culture and in a kingdom, in a world where that should be our our flag that we fly. Gossip will wreck our credibility and destroy the lives of those around us. Peter his letter to the churches in Asia Minor writes these words, Therefore, rid yourselves. Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Our hope today for you is that You won't have to live a life of a gossip. But because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you've tasted and you've seen what God does in your life. You know Him to be good. How many of us have tasted of God's goodness and know that He is good? Because you have tasted of that goodness, you will rid yourself of all of these things. You will rid yourself of the evil. You will rid yourself of the sin that's in your life because you know the goodness of God. And like a newborn baby, you should feed on the goodness of God. And as you feed on God, you are built up. You are strengthened. You have the Holy Spirit living in your life, empowering your life, moving you forward in life. And you are able to rid yourself of the sin. When Peter wrote these words, the, the, the connotation in, in what he wrote is that this would be something that we do for our own benefit. I can't do it for you. Somebody else can't do it for you. But you do it. You say, I'm going to rid myself. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it now. I'm going to get out in front of it. I'm going to rid myself. I will do this for my sake For my benefit, with the power of God moving in me, I will allow the Holy Spirit to come in. It will be more of the Holy Spirit, less of me. And when I wake up each day, I'm going to rid myself to make myself the person that God wants me to be. I do this. Not my husband. Not my wife. Not my church. Not my small group. Not my Sunday school class. I do this. 
I do it. I rid myself of it. We don't have to live like this. We don't have to act and live a life of a gossip. When the conversation starts, we just stop it. We just hold our tongue. We just walk away or we ask the other person to stop. We just, we just stop it. I just, I just need to wake up each day and stop my mouth. That's it. Rid yourself of it. Stop your mouth. The power of God in your life. It comes out of your mouth, but it's a heart issue. I'll give you six very quick practical applications. This comes from John Piper. Um, he uh, gathered with his church staff on a retreat and spoke to his staff about this idea of, of interpersonal staff relationships. And he said, he gave six practical steps, and I just want to share them with you today because I think they're very practical for this topic. First of all, he said, um, let's avoid gossiping. Just kind of already said that. Just, just stop it. Just stop the gossiping. Secondly, he writes, let's identify evidences of grace in each other and speak them to each other and about each other. Let's look for the evidences of grace. I'm so glad that we don't have to guess at what the grace of God is that's alive in our hearts. Didn't Paul in Galatians 5 say that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Should we not speak these things about each other? This person is lovely. This person is joyful. This person is kind. Let's speak to them about those things and about them with each other. Third, let's speak criticism directly to each other. If we feel the need to speak it, speak to others about it. You want to be critical? If you have a word of criticism, that's fine. But speak to the person. You feel like you need to share that with somebody else? Just stop. Just, just and share it with that person. The biblical value. Or let's look for and assume the best motive in another person's viewpoint, especially when we disagree. Let's assume the best. We're, we're, we're forgiven by grace. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let's, let's assume the best. Even when I don't like your opinion, I completely disagree with it. You're telling me what you think and I completely think it's wrong. I don't agree with that. I'm going to assume the best. I'm not going to assume that you're evil, that you're off your rocker, that you don't know what you're talking about, that you must have been out doing. I don't, I'm not going to assume the worst. I'm going to assume the best. Well, God must be speaking them to in another way. God must be guiding them in a different direction. I'm going to assume the best in somebody else. Think often, number five, of the magnificent things that we hold in common. I'm convinced that there's more that unites us than divides us. There's grace. There's love. There's the Holy Spirit that lives within us as a, 
as a testimony to God's power. We're united on on the cross. We're united on the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sin. We're united on the resurrection of God. Let's celebrate what unites us. Finally, Piper says, let's be more amazed that we're forgiven than that we are right. Let's be more amazed that we're forgiven and that we're right. And in that way, let's shape our relationship. How many of us want to be right all the time? Paul said, live by the Spirit and you will not indulge in the sinful natures. Live by the Spirit and you won't gratify the sin nature. It's your choice. It's something we've all participated in. The ground is level. It's our choice. We choose to rid ourselves or we don't. We choose the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us or we don't. It's our choice. Father, as you've given us this truth again in your word, pray that you would allow it to sit in our heart and that you would allow it to guide us today. So as we we walk out of here today and, and into a myriad of conversations today and tomorrow and this week, would you help us to be people who speak truth and love and grace to each other? Would you help us to stop the gossip? Protect our hearts, protect our homes, protect our church, that we would not devour and destroy each other, but we would love and serve one another. And so with that in mind, let us go. Let us love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.